Anyway, Colossians 1.19, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. That word there for fullness, we told you, he's, he's battling one of the, one of the um, false doctrines he's battling is the Gnostics. And this is the term, this, this term fullness, the very word that is used there, they use for the so-called intermediary beings, which they believe, uh, believed and taught to control people's lives. So these, uh, these Gnostics parceled out, parceled out deity among many spirit beings and they called them aeons. They were seen as filling the space between God and man. All communication, prayers, revelations, etc., whether they was going from man to God or God to man, all communication came through these beings. They would pass through the, the spheres where these, these folks exercised rule. Christ was included among them. He was one of these beings. He was he was just one of a number of them that was there. And Paul is making it clear that Christ is not one of them. Christ is the mediator. He is the only one that everything comes through him. And so when he says that all the fullness should dwell, we may look at it one way, but the Colossian saints are looking at it a different way. He is directly addressing this heresy that was going through the church. Verse 20, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. The word there to reconcile is to bring back into proper relationship. So it was once in a proper relationship and Christ's job was to bring it back into that proper relationship. Of course, it was with the relationship with Adam. Christ's job was to bring that back. So in effect, Christ is bringing us back to the relationship that God had with Adam, where God talked directly to Adam. That's how we... We should be looking at it. There is, there is an um, objective and a subjective side to this. And I just uh, actually wrote this right in here for you. Quote, Objectively, God removed the barrier between himself and sinful man. Subjectively, people must accept the possibility for reconciliation God has provided. So God removed the object that was before, but we must also accept it. So it's a two-sided thing. Verse uh, 21, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. Now Paul, re Paul reminds them of the, the previous evil behavior. Now remember the Gnostics would teach this. Their, their teaching was that it mattered little how a person lived in the body as long as their spirit was cultivated. This is what the Gnostics taught. So your body could do anything that it wanted to as long as you cultivated your spirit. <laughs> So sin was okay, because it's not going to affect your spirit. Paul is telling them, uh, no. And you who once were alienated enemies in your mind by wicked works. Our wicked works alienated us from God, and in our minds it alienated us from God. But he has reconciled us. Now, Ephesians 2.12 reads it this way. And this is uh, the same word being used for alienated. That at, the same, at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. All right, I was telling you that alienated, you're pretty far from God here. Same book, Ephesians 4, 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness 
to work all uncleanness with greediness, but, but you have not so learned Christ. So because of their alienation, because of the darkness of their minds, they have gone and have acts in according, according to that. Paul is saying you cannot have those acts and your mind not be alienated from God. So he's once again directly coming against this false teaching of the Gnostics that whatever you do on this earth, it don't matter. Do it with your body, that's fine. Just make sure you, you grow your spirit. And he's saying that's not so. Verse uh, 22, In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So that's the goal that Christ has, is to present us holy and blameless and above reproach. The New Century Version puts it this way, But now God has made you his friends again. Isn't that fun? <laughs> but now God has made you his friends again. He did this through Christ's death in the body so that he might bring you into God's presence as people who are holy with no wrong and with nothing of which God can judge you guilty. At least that's a great way of, of putting it. That he might bring you into God's presence as people who are holy with no wrong and with nothing of which God can judge you guilty. Getting us away from that fear that God's going to, when we get up there before heaven, we get judged for all the things that we did, all the sins that we did. And so that's not how God, that's not how Jesus, the mediator, is preparing us. He is preparing us in such a way that we are holy with no wrong and with nothing of which God can judge you guilty. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, the if indeed part, I looked this, this up some, and there is some, uh, some folks out there who teach because this word, uh, some of the meanings of this word, it may not be conditional. But I looked at a whole lot of folks on this. I looked at a lot of the breakdown of the Greek on this. And um, I've come to the conclusion that the way they translated it here is the best way to translate it. It is conditional. Even though this word that is used is sometimes not used for a conditional thing, but would sometimes be translated as since. Since this thing is so, this is, this is uh, going on. But because of the whole construction of the... Of the I'm not going to bore you with the details of the whole construction of the Greek here on this. But just let it, let it be said that the folks who translated this verse did their homework. And they came up with a, what I think was the correct one. And you'll see other places that have come up with this just, as what, just the, the same. If indeed you continue in the faith. So the conditional part is... He wants to present you holy and blameless and without guilt. That's his goal. If indeed you continue in the faith. If indeed you continue grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So there is a condition here. That first of all, we cannot be moved away from the faith. There is the faith in Jesus Christ. And we've got to make sure that we, got to, we stay with the whole gospel as it is taught. As it is taught in the Word of God. Which means we need to become students of the Word and not our favorite parts. We must become students of the whole thing. And understand what the faith is in, in God. Not just faith teaching, but faith in, in God. We've got to have the knowledge of what the Word of God teaches as far as faith in Him all the way through the gospel. As Paul refers to it very often in here. If indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast, becoming ungrounded and not steadfast is, is not living up to this, this scripture. If we do not operate in this world, in this world, not the next world, in this world, grounded and steadfast, 
we are removing the ability for Jesus Christ, the mediator, to present us holy and blameless and without spot or wrinkle or all the other things that are, are thrown in there. <clears throat> that's his goal. That's what he wants to do. But there is a condition that's on our part. We've got to continue to learn about the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away. The enemy wants to move you away. We've been talking on Sunday mornings about how the joy of God is our strength. That the, the enemy wants to take away that strength from us. So he wants to get us out of joy so that the strength isn't there. So we don't have the ability to stand on those things that we're, we want to stand on. We're moved. We are moved off of that place. But we need to be grounded and steadfast. Now you, the picture you can get is you, this football season. Everybody here likes football. Most everybody likes football. But you can understand that on the, on the uh, offensive and defensive line, the goal of the offensive line is to stand their ground and to not let the defense go where they want to go, but to hold their ground. And that's the, that's the idea of the, of the Christian there, is that we are to hold our ground and to not let the enemy move us, take us off. That takes strength. It takes great strength. And God has given us strength to be able to do it. But you've got to be grounded. Your feet got to be under you. And you've got to have strength. You get those two things going on. Just think of that offensive lineman. He, got, he has to plant his feet, and he's got to have that strength that's required. Offensive linemen don't weigh 175 pounds. I would not make an offensive lineman. No one in the right mind would put me in that, that. I don't even weigh 175 pounds. They would not do that. I don't even weigh enough to be a wide receiver in the NFL. <laughs> they, uh, there's, there's certain requirements you have on that. But an offensive lineman is at least... I would say 300 pounds, right? And some of them are in excess of that. Some of them are even bigger than, than, than that uh, area. They're, they're large in size. Because you, and, and it's not just uh, weight. There's muscle involved with that. Because they have to have great strength to do the things that they do. And to think that those guys do this how many times on a Sunday? Or whatever game time they're playing. How many times they go up and are tried to be moved? And they, they stand up to it. Well, you're even better. Now, your attack goes on seven days a week, not just on Sundays. The devil's always trying to move you. But you've got to be grounded and you've got to be strong. And understand the devil's going to try and, and have his way. But, oh, the victory that comes when the offensive line stands its ground. Now, before the offensive line was just kind of an afterthought. If you couldn't make it doing something else, well, you maybe you could be an offensive lineman. But now the, that, that change, you know, that movie Blindside came out. And people became more aware of what was going on on uh, certain sides of the, of the ball and how important those, those men were. And you can't just uh, throw anybody in there. You need skilled people. And so suddenly the uh, left tackle became one of the most coveted positions on the offensive line. And they make all kinds of money uh, just to be in that, that spot because they cover what the course is called the blind side of the, of the quarterback. Well, you are constantly under attack, but you can hold up. You can not be moved. But that's the goal of the enemy is to move you. And so many Christians, because they're not grounded, because they're not uh, rooted in the things of the Word of God, because they have their faith in things that the Word of God didn't say, they don't know the whole gospel, they can be moved. Our foundation is the Word of God. Remember the uh, parable that Jesus said. When the storm comes, there's one who built on the sand and one who built on the, on the, um, on the rock. Now, both of them heard the word, but only one put it to work. So you've got to hear that, and you've got to put it to work in your life. 
you hear the word of God, you put it to work in your life, you become grounded, you become rooted, you become one that a storm cannot move. The storm is coming. Storms will come into your life. God never said you wouldn't have any storms. But when they come, you can laugh at them. <laughs> is that the best you got? Come on. Bring it on. And you just laugh at them. Because the strength of God is far greater than anything that the enemy can throw at you. But he wants to get you to believe that you can't stand. That it won't hold it, that you won't hold up. That's not true. It's not true at all. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. So three things there. First off, you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So Paul is saying that the gospel that I am preaching to you is of this sort, that will do these kind of things. It is a full gospel. It is an all-inclusive gospel. It's not looking at certain, certain aspects of it, just focusing on that. But he says you've got to continue in it. You've got to stay, stay with it. Because false teachers would come in into the church and they would begin to try and get people off, get people to focus on a wrong hope. You can't do it. What does the Word of God teach? If the Word of God does not teach it to you, do not embrace it. No matter who brings that thing around. Does the Word of God endorse, uh, endorse it? We've told you the three pillars you can stand on. That whatever is you should rule your life by is first off, taught in the word clearly, taught in the word often, and someone in the word of God did it. Just remember, everything has to be qualified by those things. If it loses out on one of them, then your life is not to be governed by it as a life-governing principle. If it's taught in one place, it's a veiled reference. It's not clear, and it's not often. I don't care if you can find somebody in the word of God who did it. That doesn't mean that just because they did it, that it was right. How many of y'all know there's a lot of people who did things in the Word of God that the Word of God does not say you should go out and do? So what we want to do is find out what are those principles that are taught clearly? What are those principles that are taught often? Then we go and find somebody who did it. Those three things. If you stay with those three things, you won't be steered in the wrong direction. Verse 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the, the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, this is a fun little verse here. Uh, Paul is talking about his sufferings here now. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affections, afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. What does he mean by what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ? Kind of a funny phrase right there. And it has puzzled many a, many a person exactly what's in Paul's mind. Maybe we don't know. But let me read you the New Century Version on this. I am happy in my sufferings for you. There are things that Christ must still suffer through his body, the church. I am accepting in my body my part of these things that must be suffered. That's a different way to put it. Different way to look at that. I'll read it to you again. This is a New Century Version. If you want to write it down, look it up later. I am happy in my sufferings for you. There are things that Christ must still suffer through his body, the church. I am accepting in my body my part of these things that must be suffered. So with this view of what Paul is writing, we're looking at we are the body of Christ. So as we suffer things, we are still completing the afflictions of Christ. And Paul is saying, I'm, one of the, I'm part of the body. And I'm glad for the things that I suffer for 
Christ's sake and for your sake as well. That we and the things that we suffer are continuing to fill up the afflictions of Christ because we are his body, he is the head. I think that's kind of a neat way to look at it. I like it better than what's just in the straight New King James Version there. I think that adds a little bit more to understanding this. Verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Now, if you have a King James or if you think King James, sometimes we've heard the King James so many times we think King James, you know that word is dispensation in the King James Bible. But a better translation of it is stewardship because of the, of the way this word is used here. It's not just a, a, dis, a dispensation like the dispensation of grace and the dispensation of this, that we're in a dispensation of grace. That's not what he's, he's necessarily talking about. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, that he has been given a ministry and a stewardship of that ministry. And once he goes, that ministry will be given over to someone else. And they will become a steward of that ministry. And then when they go, that ministry will be given to someone else. So he sees himself as a steward, not a dispensation, not a time, but a steward of the ministry that, he, that God has given him. And he's, he's going to go out there and complete that all his days. I am happy in my sufferings for you. There are things that Christ must still suffer through his body, the church. I am accepting in my body my part of these things that must be suffered, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So as he goes around preaching the word of God, and we've seen as we've been reading through the book of Acts on a chapter a day, the things that Paul is suffering. But he sees this as the sufferings of Christ and part of his ministry, that he was given a stewardship of the ministry, and this is all part of it. So therefore, he doesn't despise it or shy away from it. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me, for you to fulfill the word of God. Uh, the New Century Version puts 25 this way. I became a servant of the church because God gave me a special work to do that helps you, and that work is to tell fully the message of God. Yeah, I just like the way the New, King, the New Century Version has put a lot of these verses in here, so I have a lot of theirs. And I looked at a lot of different translations. I just didn't look at the New Century, but I think it hit out of the park on, on a lot of these. I became a servant of the church because God gave me a special work. Now, notice that that special work made him a servant of the church. In the King James, New King James, it translates that it became a minister of the church. But if you are a minister, you are a servant. So I like the way that they put that. I became a servant of the church because God gave me a special work to do that helps you. And that work is to tell fully the message of God. Instead of to fulfill the word of God, they put it as to tell fully the message of God. That Paul saw it as his responsibility to preach the full gospel. Now, isn't the preaching the full gospel in the context of what he has been talking about? Now, the focus of apostles and pastors. Paul is an apostle. An apostle is, a, is basically one who will stay in the area as a pastor for a year, two years, whatever. A short period of time. Not forever, but a short period of time. And then move on to another spot. In the process, raising up other pastors to take over and to uh, continue that work while he's there. That's the work of apostles and pastors is to preach a full gospel. That is not necessarily the work of a prophet or an evangelist. Paul is, is coming to this as an apostle who is basically a stand-in pastor for a year, two years, maybe even three. I think three years was the longest Paul was ever at a spot. I'm not saying that that means that an apostle can only be in a spot three years, 
But these folks who call themselves apostles of certain churches and they've been there for 10, 15, and 20 years have a wrong understanding of what apostle is. You don't stay in one place very long. You come in, you get things started, and then you move on to another spot, which is exactly what Paul did. They may just be pastors. Maybe they think that's a more prestigious title. I don't know what it is. I am not an apostle. I'm not called to an apostle ministry. I'm called to a pastor ministry. I can stay here for as many years as God would have me stay here, and that's fine. <laughs> if I was an apostle, two, three years, I'd have to be out of here. Somebody else would have to be taking over, and I'd have to be moving on to another spot. That's a different calling. But in both of those callings, you must preach a full gospel. You can't just have pet things that you like to teach on. Now, a traveling evangelist doesn't do that. Traveling evangelists will have certain topics that they teach on. And that's fine. Don't look at them and say, well, they only teach on certain things. Well, they're not a pastor and they're not an apostle. They're a traveling teacher, a traveling evangelist, and they go around teaching on certain things that God gave them to, to do. That's their role. So when we look at this, not all ministers need to be one who teaches the full gospel. They may teach an aspect of it, a part of it. And do that very well. God may give them great insight, great revelation into that certain part. And they can go on off and they can do that. And they're fine. They go to this place and they equip them with what they have here. And they go to the next place and they start over and they equip them with what they got there. And maybe after a year or two, God may give them another one to, to go around to do. And, uh, and that's certainly fine. That's operating in that role of a prophet or an evangelist. They will do those kind of things. And it's, it's, don't, don't, don't compare that. I've seen some who go from the role of a teacher or an evangelist, and try and go into the role of a, of a pastor. And if God calls you to do it, you'll, find, you'll, you'll fulfill in there just fine. But you cannot operate in the role of a pastor as you would in a traveling teacher or traveling evangelist. And um, uh, one case I knew of in particular did a phenomenal job as a traveling evangelist. He got signs, wonders, miracles, all kinds of things going on in the ministry. Only taught really, really well, I mean out of this world well, on six topics. That was it. He had six topics he taught on. And um, when he took over a church, uh, it didn't take long until he fell into error. Because he started either just staying on those topics and not developing his church or tried to get off into areas he wasn't anointed to get off. It just, and it didn't go well and things were going on in the church were just, were just uh, it was sad what was happening. So you just got to make sure. Now, if God calls people to do that, to go from that to the, then they certainly would do that. Now, Brother Hagin, he switched it the other way. He went from a pastor and he became an evangelist to where he just taught on a few things. And his main thing that God gave him to taught on, we all know, teach my people faith. And he went out and he taught people faith. He talked about the word of God and healing. That's really all he went out there and, and did for a long time was to teach on that. Then he, uh, he expanded that and, and didn't teach as much on that. There was other people that were teaching that and God expanded his role in there. And he began to teach things on prayer. He began to teach things on the Holy Spirit. And we would have prayer seminars and Holy Spirit seminars. And he would uh, teach and demonstrate things in the area of the Holy Spirit. And that was uh, a lot of his focus there, especially towards the end. He stayed in those areas of ministry. But he wasn't called to be a pastor anymore and didn't have to function in those, those kind of things. He was in the area of a prophet. He was in the area of a teacher. And so he stayed on those. But while he was a pastor, he didn't function that way. He functioned in a way as a teacher in the whole gospel. And um, that's what we need to do. Jesse DePlanis, we talked about him before. He doesn't teach on the full gospel. He teaches on a few different areas, and that's fine. That's what he's called to do, and that's what he does. So when he's talking about this, he's talking about apostles, and he's talking about pastors, that it must be a full gospel. You can't just stay on faith. You can't just stay on healing. You can't just stay on the gifts of the Spirit. You've got to go over the whole thing and look at everything that's being taught there because the folks 
in the church need to get grounded on all those things so that they can fulfill what he's just taught them. That they hold on to the faith. That they stay grounded and steadfast. And you're not going to do that if the, uh, the pastor, the apostles, the people in that area are not teaching the full gospel. So that's what he's talking about here. That's what he's getting them to do. The, um, God gave me a special work to do that helps you. And that work is to tell fully the message of God. Colossians 1.26 The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to the saints. So we're looking at the, to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. He's not talking about this being revealed to certain ministers. He's not talking about this being revealed to prophets or to apostles. He is talking about these being revealed to the saints. So all the saints this has been revealed to. The mystery which has been hidden from ages. The mystery, of course, was the church. That the church age was, or was talked about in the Old Testament, but the revelation of it was hidden. So you could read it, but not understand it. And now Jesus could go back, Paul could go back, and begin to teach on these things, then show you, here's where it was. And it, oh, well, I can see that now, but you couldn't see it before because the mystery was hidden. It was there, but the, the revelation wasn't given. That's why the revelations of the Word of God, they come from the Spirit of God. He opens our eyes to it. Until He opens our eyes, our eyes are blind to it. But when He opens up our eyes, suddenly, oh, I can see that. I can understand that now. The mystery which was hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to His saints. So the saints now have the revelation of the church age. Not all will accept it. Not all will see it. There are still people who, who uh, even today, won't necessarily accept it or receive it. They're not seeing that there's a church age. They still see this as a Jewish age. They still see it as God dealing through the, the Jewish people. Their eyes have, been, have not been opened to it. That's their fault. It's there for them to see, but they refuse to. So, uh, again, the, the New Century Version says, This message is the secret that was hidden from everyone since the beginning of time, but now is made known to God's holy people. So it was hidden from the beginning of time, but now it's made known. Here it is. He goes on, verse 27, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is in Christ in you, the hope of glory. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Now, the mystery has been revealed. But the riches of it need to be learned. There are Christians all over who are, have been revealed the, the church age, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out. That has been revealed to them. But the riches of what that means, they haven't come into the understanding of yet. Those things, the will of God is that we all get it. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory. So let me read this all together. The mystery which has been hidden from the ages, from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them. To who? The saints to whom the mystery was revealed... To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is in Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, the more we keep studying the Word of God, the more we find out what are the riches that this means. What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to be poured out in our life? What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to dwell on the inside of us? Not just be in and around us, not just come upon us at certain times, but to dwell in us. What does it mean to become 
to have the inheritance that Jesus Christ has given us as a church? What does it mean to have to be part of His body as the church? What do all these things mean? We need to come to come into an understanding of that, of the riches of that revelation, and you can. But just because it's been revealed, just because the will of God is that you learn those riches, doesn't mean that it comes to us. It um, it's something that we certainly need to pursue, though. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I think uh, this is the new. No, nope, that's not. I didn't. Uh, I didn't copy that one over. But verse, I put this in your outline. Though the mystery has been revealed to all saints, the riches of it don't seem to be as evident to all, but they can be. Christ in you. Remember, our brother Hagen came out with that little book in him. And he said, just the riches of all that, all the verses talk about in him, in whom, so forth, all those kind of derivatives of that. Just, just to get that. All the truth that comes because Christ dwells in us. We've got to get a hold of that. Um, verse 28. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, some people look at this as restrictive in that the warning every man is those that are unsaved and the teaching of every, uh, of every man in all wisdom is to those that are saved. But are there not warnings given to Christians? Absolutely. The warning is not just to unsaved people. It's also to us as Christians because there are some things that we can get into that we shouldn't do. Him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. So all people that are on every man, the man is in the general sense, not in the um, uh, male specific, but man is a mankind. Him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So the goal there is to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's the goal. Not every man's going to be presented perfect in Christ Jesus because not everyone's going to accept the warnings. Not, always, not everyone's going to be in a place to accept the teachings. Not everyone is going to be in a spot where they're going to receive the mystery or the teaching that God would give us on the riches of what that mystery means for us. But that's the goal. That's Paul's goal is every man. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. The word here for perfect means perfect, complete, whole, full-grown, mature adult. It describes a relational quality, not a positional state achieved by being sinless or faultless. It is not a positional state that we get there by me not sinning anymore. That's what that means. It's a relational quality that we come into that place of a relationship with Christ Jesus, not a positional one. Don't get the idea that we'll have to become sinless in order for me to reach that. That's not it. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. He's teaching things, preaching things to build us up in our relationship with Christ that we have a walk with him like Adam had a walk with him. Bringing us back because that's what he reconciled us to. What it was, we've been reconciled to to get back to that. It was once one thing, it got broken, and Christ came to reconcile us back to put that back into where it was before. And that's what he's talking about. The enemy may come and he may try and tell you, you still have this going on in your life. You still have this going on in your life. You're not going to achieve this result. What's your relationship with Christ like? That's what Paul is putting us back to. 
Verse 29, to this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. All right, now this one I really like the New Century Version. We're going to read you verse 28 and 29 in it. So we continue to preach Christ to each person, using all wisdom to warn and to teach everyone, in order to bring each one into God's presence as a mature person in Christ. 29, to do this I work and struggle using Christ's strength that works so powerfully in me. I compare that to the New King James. To do this, I work and struggle using Christ's great strength that works so powerfully in me. So the striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Instead of that, I work and struggle using Christ's great strength that works so powerfully in me. In order to accomplish, in order to accomplish this state, these things that he's trying to work in this earth, these, these things of bringing this revelation, this warning, bringing these teaching to every man. He is working through the strength of Christ. Through that, the strength of Christ is going to help him with all the, the struggles, with all of the sufferings, with all the things that he goes through. And it will help us as well. You have the strength of Jesus Christ on the inside of you. If you come to the realization of what that is and how that strength works through you. We come into more victory. And that's what Paul is saying here. Read that uh, to you again. To do this, I work and struggle using Christ's great strength that works so powerfully in me. Now, he still relates to a struggle that's there, even though it's Christ's strength that's in him. Because there's still a struggle in your flesh. There's still a struggle that you have. Maybe even sometimes in the will to keep going in the thing. But he says, if you get tap into that great strength, you can get through the thing. You can keep on going on. And you'll see this great change on the inside. And that's what he's talking about in here. So we see it's the, it's the whole message of the Word of God. We need the whole message of the Word of God. Not just those parts that I really enjoy. I need to get into those, some of those parts. Then when I hear about it, I feel like my toes are being stepped on. When I hear about it, I feel like I'm, I'm uncomfortable. That's putting me in a, I'm not I'm not doing that yet. I don't necessarily want to hear about things where I'm not having the victory. I don't necessarily want to hear about things where I'm not walking in great things. Oh, no, that's I'm, I'm not walking in victory. Let's, walk over, let's talk over here where I'm walking in victory. That gets me into you know feeling bad. No, 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 those are the things we need to hear. Those are the things because I need the full gospel. So that's an area of the gospel I'm not quite walking into just yet. Now we've got to get, uh, get better at that. It's the whole message of the Word of God. They will bring us to a place of perfection, not a part of it. If you want to get into that place of perfection, you need the whole message. We must maintain our exposure to the full gospel and the sufferings involved in becoming mature. There are sufferings that are involved in becoming mature because you're going to battle your flesh and you're going to battle the enemy, both of which don't like it, both of which don't like that aspect of becoming mature. The sufferings involved in becoming mature, which we do with his strength working through us. But once we understand how his strength can work through us, those struggles do not become as great of a struggle. And they don't, become as, uh, they don't become as bothersome. You can actually learn to enjoy those things. There are, it's just a, a different mentality you have to adopt. You've got to adopt a mentality that says, that's suffering, I'm not shying away from it anymore. I am embracing it. I am going after it. I am going to see this thing through. And if I'm suffering, as, what's a... The slogan the Marines say, pain is weakness leaving the body. I love that phrase. I think, I think the phrase is phenomenal. Pain is weakness 
leaving the body. Every time that we feel pain in the area of our spirit, every time we feel pain in the area of our flesh where we're, we're growing, we just think, pain, this is weakness leaving me. It's this thing, these are things that are in my life that are causing me to be weak in my, in my spiritual walk, in my Christian walk, and they're leaving, they're getting out, and you get excited. Oh, that means that I'm, I'm hitting the right spot. When I hear a message that gets me uncomfortable, that feels like it, my toes are being stepped on, oh, this is good. Oh, this is good. Come on, do, do, tell it to me again. Get me going again on this thing. Tell me where it is that I, I need to change it. Because if I can get that change, I can, I can correct some things and God can work in me even more. And that strength of God can come in me even more. And I can understand even greater about what's going on. And we get excited. Ah, if that's, if that's bothering me, then that's an area I needed to change. That's an area that I was needing something in. And we get excited about it. And we can, we can move on. See, the devil wants to say, you don't need to hear that. No, you don't need to hear that. You shouldn't have to hear that. You shouldn't have to put up with those kind of things. That's, that's crazy. No, you're okay the way you are. You just, you, and, we, and we get mad at the people who, who point these things out. No, don't get mad. No, 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 you get glad. You get happy. This is somebody showing me what, where I'm lacking, what's not coming through. There are areas in our walk that are lacking, but they can be made strong. Thank God for the whole word of God that comes along, not to condemn, but to point out to here, here's where you can get better. Just like a coach would tell a player the, the areas of weakness, and this is what you need to do to overcome it. This is how you need to, to get past that. Because a good coach doesn't just point out the weaknesses. He points out the way to get better. If you're a baseball player and you've got a, a, a problem with your swing, the coach may come up and say, you've got a hole in your swing. Now, no coach ever came up and told me that because I never played baseball. But I've heard people that have played baseball and coached baseball, and they'll say they found a hole in this. I don't know what a hole in a swing still is to this day, but they're able to convey it to the player, and they're able to convey, oh, we, we, we find it out, and all of a sudden they're making contact with the bat and the ball more than they were before. And because the coach comes out and says, you're doing this, you're not swinging right, you're, the bat's starting off in the wrong position. Now, how those guys even hit the ball at the beginning, I have no idea. No idea. How do you hit a ball that's going 90, 95 miles an hour traveling through the air, and not a straight path, but going up and down. And you've got to read which way that ball is going as the pitcher is releasing the ball because it's going to be in front of you so fast that if you wait until after he releases that ball, you won't have time to swing the bat and make contact with it anyway. How in the world they would do it? I do not know. It is a mystery to me how anyone hits a baseball to begin with. But, but thank God for coaches. They can get in there and can... Uh, can teach them how to do it and get them to swing that thing and tell them, you know, your stance is wrong. Your, uh, uh, the way you're starting with lifting up that leg, and it's, it's, it's wrong. Or the way you're swinging down or the way that you hold the bat or whatever it is. They, they get that done. And sometimes the baseball players will say, you know, I'm seeing the ball like it's bigger. The ball looks bigger to me. Because, you, uh, I don't know, to me it's, it's a blur. That's a, that's a blur, but they're, they're able to accomplish those things. And the Holy Spirit is our coach. And he comes along and he tells us, this is where the hole in your swing is. This is what's holding you back. Now fix this. Fix this and you can make it right. Fix this and you can do better. And that's what he's going to tell us about. But we need a whole gospel. If we only focus on a couple of areas that we like, we're not going to get there. We're not going to find that perfection that we want to have. But Paul says, the whole gospel is preached to get us to that spot.
and to get us to that place. Thank God for that. Father, we thank you that you are bringing us to a place of maturity. You are bringing us to a place of perfection. You are bringing us to a place where your strength works through us in even greater measures. And Father, I thank you for it and we give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.